morning. Let me ask you a question today. Do you have confidence in God? You could say yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, this morning we're going to look at this topic of confidence and what it means to have confidence in God. Let me begin by giving you a definition because it's not about self-confidence. As Pastor Aaron uh, said so well, it's about having a confidence in the Lord that he will do what he says he will do. Let me read this definition of confidence uh, to you. Confidence is the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. It means a firm trust. You are convinced that God will show up. I like that last uh, piece of definition. You are convinced that God will show up. This morning we're going to look at the importance and the fundamental place that confidence has in our, our lives uh, if we want to be people of unshakable faith. It really needs to be built on our confidence in Jesus Christ that supersedes whatever circumstance uh, that we face. Um, we're going to use the Old Testament figure of Saul, who was the first king of Israel, to do this study on confidence this morning. So we're going to pick his story up in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 9 um, and begin with verse 1 uh, there. But before I get there, let me just talk about how we uh, even are getting to the example of Saul this morning. Um, when Israel was formed as a nation, God desired to be her king. But then the people began to look around at the nations that surrounded them and said, we want to be like them. We want to be like the nations that surround us. And so they begin to ask for a king. Now, God wasn't real pleased with that, and the prophet Samuel at that time wasn't pleased with that. But eventually they just gave in. God gave in, so to speak, uh, to the request of Israel and, and told Samuel, go ahead and appoint a, a king. It's not you they're rejecting, it's me they're rejecting. And uh, I'm reminded of a frequent occurrence that happened at the Norby household, especially when our kids were growing up, when they wanted to do something really bad. Now, I have six kids, so I had a lot of this kind of exchange. But when they were growing up and they wanted to do something really, really badly, they would say to me, well, everybody else is doing it. All my friends are doing it. Can I go do it? They would, they would kind of give that as an as a, you know, opening argument. Now, I know a lot of parents will say, well, would, if everybody would jump off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff and all that kind of stuff? I don't think that necessarily works real well as a parent, you know, because they just look at you and go, oh, whatever, you know. But, but the, 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 I'm reminded here when we look at Israel of some of the argument used by young people when they want to get something. Everybody else is doing it, so we want to do it. And that was the logic of the people of Israel at the, at the time of, prophet, of the prophet Samuel. Everybody else has a king, we want a king. And so God kind of says, all right, give them a king. They're going to see that this isn't the greatest deal, but sometimes you just have to learn things yourself. And, and I'm going to talk next week on this incredibly important topic. Be careful what you ask for. Because sometimes God gives it to you, and it's not the best thing for your life, but he'll give it to you so that you learn some things. But we'll talk about that next week. For this morning, I want to talk about what it means to have a confidence in God that supersedes the circumstances that you find yourself facing. So let's look here at uh, 1 Samuel. I'm going to begin here with verse 1 of, of, of chapter 9. I'm going to go through verse 8. Then I'm going to skip down to verse 15 and go through verse 21. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. Jumped on the verse 2. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around uh, Shalassah, but they did not find them. They went on to the district of Shalem, but the donkeys were not there. And then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. 
When they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us the way, uh, what way we, uh, to take. Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we do? The servant answered him again. Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I'll give it to the man of God so that he'll tell us what way to take. Now jump down to verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for the cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family lying? Saul answered, But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Now, when you read a story like this about Saul, and this is just the opening kind of introduction to Saul and how he gets anointed uh, as king over Israel, which we'll read about in a few moments, we have a distinct advantage, you know, because we see the story. We understand what God is up to, and we see his interaction with people. But let's step into uh, the situation of Saul for a moment. He's on a donkey hunt. He's on a mundane chore for his dad. He's looking for some lost animals. He wasn't looking to be king. He was trying to find some donkeys. But God was up to something in Saul's life. Already I see a lesson to take away for us. Much of our life, lives is, is just mundane. It's routine. It's, it's regular. We just kind of go through the thing. But every now and then, God interrupts our donkey hunt. And the question becomes, will we be interruptible? And as he interrupts us, will we have the confidence in him to say, yeah, I see what you're up to, and I'll go along with it. Saul looked all over the place for those donkeys, couldn't find them. His servant had the idea to go to Samuel the prophet uh, to inquire. Great idea. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, God had already appeared to Samuel the prophet, told him what's up. Uh, this guy's going to come to you. He's going to be the next king, or the first king, I should say, of, of Israel. And the challenge that Saul would face from that point on in his life was, will I place my confidence in God and what he's up to in my life? Or will I doubt that he can use me and minister through me? Saul really struggled with confidence in God. He did. He struggled with that tremendously, and it cost him dearly. It cost him dearly. We need to realize God has a way of interrupting our lives, doesn't he? His way of interrupting our lives, our plans. And we're all going to face that same question. God, will I trust you? Will I be confident in you? Will I realize how reliable you are? And that, that, I, that I'm convinced that you're going to show up. That if you call me, you'll equip me. That it's not about me. It's about who you are. 
God is able to do more than we can hope and imagine. And it's not our qualifications that make us usable to God. It's his qualifications, amen? And we have to just be willing to be used by him. Here's our big thought today. Often we are on a donkey hunt when God interrupts our lives. Often we are on a donkey hunt when God interrupts our lives. And the question that quickly arises is, will you be confident uh, in what God is up to? Will you be confident in what God is up to? Imagine your Saul. Your whole world just got turned upside down. I mean, he went out looking for some donkeys. He runs into this prophet Samuel. Samuel says, don't worry about the donkeys. And by, by the story's end here, by, by the time he gets done with his encounter with Samuel, he goes home anointed as king. That wasn't in his wheelhouse. That wasn't what he thought was going to happen that day in his life. Are you ready to respond to God who abruptly interrupts life at times and does something out of your wheelhouse? Are you ready for that? Will you have confidence in him? Because that's our challenge, you know. This is our challenge. Will you live your life with a readiness to respond to God? That's really the challenge that we all face. To live a life that's ready to respond to God as God interrupts. We need to have our donkey hunts interrupted every now and then. Amen? And we need to go a direction that God has for us, not that we have for us. And sometimes it's an abrupt course correction or course change. I have come to this conclusion in my life. See if this resonates with you. I've come to this conclusion in my life. When God asks me to take a risk, if I don't take that risk, I'm really taking a risk. It's the riskiest thing in life not to take the risk that God asks you to take. You follow what I'm saying by that? It's risky business when I'm not willing to risk what God asks me to risk. And that's where we begin, to, as you mature in Jesus Christ, where you should begin to go, oh, no, no, I don't want to go there. If God asks me to do this thing, I have had enough experience with him, I have enough confidence in him to know that it's really risky business not to do what he's asking me to do rather than to think, oh, what he's asking me to do is too risky. Let's go back to the story of Saul. Saul looked the part of king. He's tall. He's handsome. Whatever handsome look like in that day he's regal he's evidently looks like he looks the part but here's Saul's problem and we're going to see this problem manifest itself in his life uh, throughout his story Saul was real tall in stature but he was short in confidence in God he's very from the outward appearances he's he's the deal he looks the part but from an inward heart condition He's just short of confidence in God. And we can see his lack of confidence even in this first interaction that he had with Samuel. When Samuel says, all of Israel's desires turn toward you, he said, me? Weakest, smallest. You hear those words? Weakest, smallest. Weakest, smallest. Now, on first blush, that seems like humility. But as Saul's life unfolds, we see this is a constant theme in his life. When, when God's up to something in his life, he always has an excuse of why it can't be him and why he can't do it or whatever. And that is nothing more than a lack of confidence in what God has ordained for him to do. Now, understand this about God's choice of Saul for king. It follows a biblical pattern. God lifts up the least, and he uses the powerless. He does it all throughout the Bible. He lifts up the least, 
and uses the powerless to build his kingdom so that his kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. And so that he gets the glory and people don't get the glory. The quicker we learn that God uses the least and the smallest and the powerless, the better off we are because when God calls on us and we don't have those excuses, I'm the least, I'm the smallest, I can't speak very well, I don't have, you know, all this training or whatever may be the excuse. When we begin to learn that, that's how God works because it's about him and his qualifications and his ability and his power. And as we have our focus on him and put our confidence in him, then he uses our life in a very real way. God lifts up the least. God uses the powerless. And I love that about the story of the Bible. It's all over in the story of the Bible. And we see this is indeed the case with Saul also. Now God is very patient with those he calls. And so Saul's having this confidence problem already and God begins to do some what I call remedial work in him. Right away, he does some remedial work in him. And that exchange is found in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1-6. through 6. And I'm going to explain what I mean by remedial work, but let's begin to read this first. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Now, the remedial work starts. The confidence-building moment starts in Saul's life. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah at the bo- on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lars, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do it, for God is what? With you. You know what's happening here is remedial work. Saul's lacking confidence. God's giving him sign after sign after sign. He's in this thing with Saul. In fact, let's go over the three confidence-building signs for Saul. The donkeys will be found. Two, three men will meet you, and there's very specific things are are told about what will happen when they meet him. And lastly, the Spirit of God will come on you, and you will prophesy. I see a pattern over and over in the Bible of God building up the confidence of people. Now, I don't mean self-confidence. I mean the confidence we're talking about today. Confidence in the Lord that he'll do what he says he will do. This is a pattern repeated over and over in the Bible. For example, go back to Moses. Moses was called by God to lead people from, or lead Israel specifically from bondage to Egypt. The exchange between Moses and the Lord in Genesis 3 and 4 is almost comical. It's almost funny. God's calling Moses to be a deliverer. He, he's no longer a sheep herder. He's going to move from sheep herder and become a deliverer. Now, Moses is on a donkey hunt. He's tending sheep. He's going about the mundane things of life. And God is in this burning bush. 
that Moses goes over to see what's up with this burning bush that's not consumed, and the Lord begins to speak out of Moses from a burning bush. Amen? Now that would get your attention, right? And Moses immediately begins to hem and haw. I can't. I'm not good. I know somebody else and somebody else. I don't want to do all this. And God continues to work with Moses in his lack of confidence in God, basically. And God says, throw your staff down on the ground. It becomes a snake. That's a new thing. And he picks it up, and it becomes a staff again. I don't know how you are, but men alive. This is not normal. Put your hand in your cloak. Pull it out. It's leprous. Put it back in, pull it out, it's healed. Hmm, what's God doing here? He's showing Moses, I'm with you. You can have confidence in me. You're not going to be a deliverer on your own. I'm going to be the deliverer. You're merely my messenger. And Moses, I can't speak very well, God. I don't have words. I'm not eloquent. Aaron's coming. He'll speak for you. No more excuses. Go, you're my deliverer. God constantly works on people's confidence in him in the Bible. Gideon. Pastor Aaron talked about Gideon here a few weeks back. Think about Gideon. He's, a, he, he, he's in the middle of this moment of, of Israelite history when, when um, the Midianites were oppressing them. And God had called Gideon then to be the deliverer uh, of his people Israel from the Midianites. Where do we find Gideon? Threshing wheat while he's hiding in a wine press. This is not the makings of valor. This is not the makings of a mighty warrior. Yet, what does God call him when he meets him? Mighty warrior. <laughs> it's funny. He's scaredy cat. He's afraid. He's hiding out. But God sees things that are not as though they are. And Gideon is, is full of questioning, and he lacks a bit of confidence in God. And he said, God, be patient with me. If you're really in this, I'm going to put you through a little bit of a a do test here. And I'm not talking Mountain Dew. We're talking dew on sheepskin. He says, I'll put the sheepskin out. If there's dew on it in the morning and no dew around the ground, then I know you're in this thing. He gets up in the morning and we're told he wrings out the wetness. That's a lot of dew. And then the next thing he does is, God, I'm still not quite confident in you. I'm going to put out that sheepskin again. Now, if it's, if it's dewy all around the sheepskin, but not the sheepskin, then I know you're in this thing. And, of course, that's what happens. And God patiently works with people like Gideon and Moses and Saul to build up their confidence. Gideon, too, he was on a donkey hunt. He's just threshing wheat. And all of a sudden, God shows up and says, mighty warrior. He interrupted his life. That's how God works. But, see, God is trying to take these men and women of the Bible, to an intended result. To an intended result. The three signs for Saul were to create in him a confidence in God, amen, that I can trust God will do what he says he will do, that God is reliable, that God is trustworthy. After all, Saul's life is not about donkey hunts. It's about the calling God has in his life. Moses' life is not about sheep herding. It's about the call that God had in his life. Gideon's life was not about threshing wheat. It was about the call that God had on his life. As much of life as is mundane for us and all our careers and all that we do that, that is important, that's not what our lives ultimately is about for any of us. It's about the call God has on us to follow him and be faithful to him. And we have to be confident that God will do what he has promised to do. So the intended result here is this. Do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you. 
That was the intended result for Saul. He was to be this guy, crazy confident in God. Step out of the story with me now. I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ for just a few moments. Do we have a sign from God to us today? I already gave you the answer. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God incarnate. He's God in flesh. He came to show us God up close. We have a sign that should instill in us confidence. Last week we were having a development moment at our, our staff meeting. Um, and we were watching a tape by Steve Deneff. He is the pastor of College Church, which is our church that's right by the Indiana Wesleyan University campus. And he was talking about this idea that when you're dealing with problems or talking with people about life, there is no better answer than this, Jesus Christ. It's that simple. We cannot forget the simplicity and the centrality of Jesus and how he changes lives. The Lord Jesus' ministry was attested to by hundreds of fulfilled prophecies and proofs. And after he's resurrected, which in and of itself is an amazing sign, he imparted to us the person of the Holy Spirit who lives right inside of us, attesting the Holy Spirit, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to attest to our hearts the truth of Jesus Christ. So we live in a generation with signs galore. So when we look at Saul and we look at Moses and we look at, at um, Gideon and we think, well, if I just had a sign like that, maybe I would believe. We have a greater sign, amen? We have the sign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's meant to instill in you and I a confidence to follow God wholeheartedly. I pray God graces you and I with confidence. May we truly be people of Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and be courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. And he has fulfilled that promise in you and I through the person of Jesus Christ and through the infilling of the person of the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, we, we did a, a little bit of an exercise. We went to this cross with our carabiners, and we hung them on the cross that day, signifying we're latched into Jesus Christ. And, and basically what we're saying by that act is this, I'm dependent on you, Jesus, and I have confidence in you. I have so much confidence in you, I know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. I want to end this morning by talking about two confident busters that I struggle with, I think you all struggle with, that's common, uh, a common problem for, for people, it was a problem for, for, for Saul. First confidence buster is this, God can't use me. God can't use me. Saul really struggled with the idea that God could use him. He seemed all too eager then to trust himself and not to trust God. He didn't really readily acknowledge what God was up to in his life. At first blush, it seems like he's a humble guy. When, when Samuel comes to him and he says, I'm from the weakest and the smallest, uh, that seems like humility. But as the story unfolds about him, you begin to see this is kind of a pattern in his life. He's always saying why God can't use him. After he's anointed by oil and, and has his interaction with Samuel the prophet, he returns home and his uncle asks him a natural question uh, like you and I would ask. You were with the prophet Samuel? What did he say? What did he say? And you know what Saul said back to his uncle? That you found the donkeys. And that was it. And I'm reading that going, what? 
You've just been anointed king. You've just been told all this marvelous, wonderful stuff, and you go back to your uncle. They don't care about the donkeys. The donkeys were found three days ago. And the only response you get back to them is, we found the donkeys. What is up with that? I think Saul couldn't believe what was going on in his life. I think he was struggling with this idea that God could use him. He was looking at himself, not looking at God. He wasn't having confidence in God. He was beginning to think, I don't know if I can do this. No, it's not about you doing it, Saul. It's about you trusting God to do it through you. I have a question for some of you wives and women, and I don't know if this happens in your household. This happened in the Norby household quite a bit, where you might ask your man, your husband, what happened today? How's your day going? And I'm not a very communicative person, maybe at home sometimes. My wife has to draw it out of me a little bit, especially when I'm tired. I don't want to think about it anymore. And sometimes she might be uh, tempted to say what? Oh, nothing. And then later on she finds out you made three or four, you know, agreements with people to go over to their house. You, you know, you've done something major at work or whatever. You did something, had some major interaction with a friend. And they, they go, why didn't you tell me that? Well, I don't know. It's tired or whatever. Well, Saul's response back to his uncle is the doozy of all time of minimizing a significant moment in your life, of not giving any details. I mean, Samuel had anointed him king. This is a big honking deal. He's a trust-challenged fellow, evidently. He just can't come out and say, God's up to something great in my life, I guess, you know. Um, It's interesting to me because this whole idea of, of a king was their idea, Israel, not God's idea. And, 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 and we continue to see the, the badness of, of, of a king, an earthly king. Uh, they're going to now have this inaugural moment with Saul. It's a public moment. He's going to publicly be appointed as king. They go to find this really tall, regal-looking, handsome dude. Where is he at? Some of you know the story. Where is he at? He's in the baggage hiding. I don't know about you, but here's where I would have been at that moment. I would have said, what a mistake we just made. We should have trusted God as our king. Now we got this dude who looks the part, but he's hiding in the baggage. Saul was really good at hide and seek, but I don't know if he's going to be good at king. That's what would have crossed my mind. If you think God can't use me, that's going to be a confidence buster because God majors on using the weak, the powerless, and the smallest among us. He just delights in doing that. Secondly, I will figure it out. I will figure it out. Now, sometimes, yes, you should figure it out. Oftentimes, I will figure it out means I'm not trusting God. I'm going to do life on my own. This little phrase, I will figure it out, has caused me more anxiety and stress than any other thing in my life. I'll just figure it out. For me, these are bad words at times because at times you can't figure it out, right? You cannot figure it out. And what you're called to do is have confidence in God and trust that God is up to something in your life, but you cannot figure it out. Get this, the Philistines are gathered now to fight against Israel. Saul's now the leader of the Israelite army. And we're told that the Philistines are as numerous as sand. And Samuel has given Saul some pretty specific instructions. You go out against them, you wait seven days. And then I will come and I'll make an offering and we'll get God's blessing on you and things will go well for you. So as Saul is waiting with the Philistines as numerous sand, they come up, they fight against the Israelites. His men begin to do what he did. Hide. 
They're following the example of their king. They're hiding in the thorn bushes. They're hiding in the cisterns. They're fleeing. They're going to caves. Everything's kind of falling apart before his very eyes. And so Sam, uh, excuse me, Saul is getting more and more nervous. Samuel's not showing up to do the sacrifice. So on the last day, Samuel still isn't there, and Saul takes matters into his own hands. He has figured it out. I'll just do the sacrifice, which was a grievous sin because he wasn't qualified to do that. So he does the sacrifice. The moment he's done with the sacrifice, guess who shows up? Samuel. And Samuel says this, what have you done? Now I know that phrase really well. Some of you know that phrase really well. I grew up with a mother saying that to me about four or five times a week. What have you done? And it wasn't, oh good, what have you done? Good surprise. It was, oh no, what have you done now? And, and that's exactly what Samuel says to Saul. What have you done? If you would have just waited and been obedient and trusted in God and trusted in what I was about to do, he would have established your kingdom, but now it's going to be torn from your hands and given to another. Because Saul lacked confidence, he tried to figure it out. Here's our summary today. The sad summary of Saul's life is that he never really got to full confidence in God. That's really a sad summary. His is the story of what could have been and what should have been if he would just have had confidence and trust in what God was up to in his life. Listen, God will interrupt your donkey hunt. He will. The question and challenge that becomes for you is, will you be willing to have confidence in what he's up to in your life? Will you trust him? Will you realize he's reliable? Will you resist the urge to hide in the baggage? Will you resist the urge to say, I'm the smallest and the weakest, who am I? Will you resist the urge to try to figure it all out? And will you just place confidence into what God is up to? We're going to pray, and then I have uh, an announcement for you that's pretty significant this morning. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to just pray for us that we would be a people that would be confident in you. This is an easy thing to pray for, Lord, an easy thing to see and acknowledge. It's a tremendously difficult thing to do in the midst of a trying circumstance or a troubling moment, or just a moment of challenge. So I want to pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we'd be ones who are, uh, are uh, you know, built up by the signs you're giving us, the signs of Christ, his resurrection, and the Holy Spirit, that these signs would create in us this really, really deep uh, conviction of confidence that, God, we're going to trust what you're up to. And I just pray for each one here. Each one of our stories is different, and each one of us faces a different kind of moment when our, our uh, donkey hunt is being interrupted, I just pray that we'd be characterized by uh, people who would say, okay, God, I'm willing and ready to respond to what you're up to in my life. I just pray that be who we are, whether it be giving our life to you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the very first time, whether it be uh, getting out of our comfort zone and doing something that you would have us do that we normally don't do. It may be just as simple as acknowledging in a kind of public way that you're our Lord and our Savior. I don't know, God, what it looks like. For each one of us, it's a different scenario. But I pray they'd be willing and ready to respond to you in confidence of what you're up to, God. In your name, Jesus, amen. In your bulletins is this sheet. I want you to grab it right now, please. It, it, it is something that I would like you to keep. Don't throw it away. Please don't throw it away. Go home. Put this up someplace. Here's how I want us to use this. We're, we're entering into this phase two project and building and all that kind of thing. But... It, we're not about buildings here. I'm not about buildings. What I'm about is building the kingdom of God. 
And so what we want to do is use this moment in our church's uh, life as a rallying point of kind of zooming us in on focusing on the right kinds of things. And this is a really, really handy brochure to getting us laser focused on what God is up to here.